0: Hello, you're listening to the Magical Disneyland Paris podcast with me, Andrew Williamson, and I'm joined by Simon West. Hello, hello. Did you like that new introduction, Simon? It's fancy. You know what? We're back and we're better than ever. Back and better than ever? That's some kind of slogan. There we are. It's a tagline for the podcast. There we go. Welcome to episode 23 of the Magical Disneyland Paris podcast, All Things Magical and Disneyland Paris. As I've said, I'm joined by Simon West. Hello again. Hello again. Each Magical Disneyland Paris podcast episode will have a different focus, beat, it attraction, restaurant or special element of the Disneyland Paris world. This episode we are focusing on Le Château de la Belle au Bois d'Aumont. We will also hand over to you, the listener, and discuss your views and opinions. It's we've been... been away a long
1: time and I've just discovered we've neither of us got any better at French.
0: No, not at all. I should have been practicing really, shouldn't I? That's what I should have been doing over this wonderful lockdown.
1: Exactly. We've had 716 days since our last podcast went out,
0: to the point we're recording this. I did not know you were going to work that out. Wow, that's scary.
1: I know. It's big, isn't it? That's longer than I thought it was. April 2019, our last one went out. (laughs) Um,
0: Well, in August 2019, we did start recording this episode um, of the podcast, but... We came so close. We actually pressed record. (laughs) That's about as far as we got. So yeah, it's about it's about time we brought it back. Um, we've had a bit of an, in, an int- change of introduction. Just thought I'd freshen it up a little bit. So yeah, episode twenty three um, started off in two thousand and fourteen. All those years ago when Simon was a baby. I kind of still am. I'd like to think, but you know, <laughs> compared to me, you are. So yeah, um, <laughs> I'll take it. This is one of the biggest, well, if not the biggest uh, icons of the parks, uh, right from the start when it was Euro Disney. Um, Before we go into the history and what what the current state of the castle is and what the future plans are, um, what does it mean to you, Simon, the castle, Sleeping Beauty castle?
1: Well, first off, I mean, we couldn't really have chosen a, a better thing to come back for with this podcast. Actually, I take it back. Maybe Space Mountain, given the pair of us. No, no, no. Okay, Sleeping Beauty's Castle is the best one. It's as you say. It's it is what the whole park is focused on. It is what the whole, all of the marketing for the whole resort is based around this. So yeah, it's massive. It's huge.
0: And as well, one of the first attractions or one of the first elements that you see, obviously apart from the Disneyland Hotel, um, once you've gone through the middle and you've passed a gazebo, you kind of, if you definitely if it's your first time visiting you do kind of forget about Main Street, you forget about looking down the shops on each side, you forget about the arcades. Your eyes are drawn to that wonderful castle at the end of the street.
1: Absolutely, and it's not just Main Street as well. I think that's the other nice thing about having such a tall weenie in the middle of a park. You know, it's when you're in up... The Robinson Treehouse, it's when you're on Thunder Mountain racing around the, the Mesa and you look across and that's kind of the focal point that ties everything together. Even though it doesn't fit with any of the other lands, somehow it does.
0: Yeah, and it's something we'll look at when we uh, discuss uh, the plans and how it was kind of envisaged when it was uh, put together in the design process. Uh, obviously, the uh, the castle or Sleeping Beauty's castle or the Château de la Belle or de Bois, But I don't oh dear me, I practiced that as well, could you tell? Um, we'll go with castle for this episode. (laughs) Uh, Opened when the park opened in 1992. They started breaking ground on the building of the castle in August 1988. So it didn't take them too long, to be honest, uh, to put that together. Uh, Really, really big feat of engineering to uh, break the ground on the whole park and put that whole castle up in in the time. Um... Our wonderful show producer for this attraction, we call it an attraction because it is the main attraction of the whole park, Uh, the the show producer was Tom Morris. Uh, The initial ideas included um, possibly copying the castles at Disneyland, which was also a Sleeping Beauty's castle, possibly looking at the uh, Cinderella castle at Walt Disney World, or as Tom Morris said, uh, there was also an outrageous idea for a a futuristic tower that would have completely changed the concept. Uh, Have you seen the pictures of that futuristic Um, proposal This is one of the
1: downsides of doing a podcast is
0: that we have no visuals um, but
1: if you haven't seen this I mean it's it's incredible it's kind of I think sort of 90s era visions of what Tomorrowland should be and it's kind of golden domes with spires really thin spires raising up from it and you can kind of see a little bit of parallels between the sort of thin spires that we have for the castle today, but it would have been totally rogue if they would have gone for this very futuristic angle. But I think it was always a, from what I've heard, it was always a a sort of pie in the sky, blue sky thinking they were never really going to do it, but always good to kind of throw around different ideas at the start. And it would be interesting to hear from him whether any, any of those kind of blue sky ideas did end up making just little appearances in the final thing.
0: That would be. Yeah, I've never thought of that. It'd be quite useful. or well, be quite interesting to see if any, like you say, any of those ideas from the futuristic elements uh, did make its way into the final uh, project. Um, yeah, it would have stood out. It would have been a really big weenie. It would have been an impressive uh, sight to behold. Probably wouldn't have fit in as well. Like you mentioned to at the start, when you're uh, what, looking at the castle from different areas, from different worlds or different lands around uh, Disneyland Paris, it seems to fit in of each area it it does i don't know whether it's a kind of
1: european thing but i mean and maybe i don't know maybe our american listeners and people from around the rest of the world would disagree but there's something kind of timeless about a castle i mean maybe that's just because i'm english i would (laughs) think castles are timeless but it
0: does seem to kind of work like that doesn't it is that because we're used to we're walking down the street there's a debenhams oh there's a castle (laughs) you're just used to seeing a castle everywhere
1: castle
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh we're in london oh look there's if you're from the america oh. and you've never been to england it's exactly like that yeah you're just walking past the shop and then there's a castle every corner yep easy which is, which is why it kind of fits for us
1: a nice cathedral yeah
0: so that, that's An why the... where everyone's
1: like drinking mead
0: <laughs> yeah a gallon of mead please <laughs> so that that's why the um futuristic tower as well it would have looked nice and it would have been a really nice hub area and a really good weenie but it just wouldn't have worked because we don't see them futuristic towers on our street corners do we
1: no we just don't and i don't think the french do either
0: to be fair no and, it, and we're talking about something that nobody can see so have a look at it online but um i think it would have out the castle like you say the castle is timeless uh, as time goes on and things improve the castle will always be the beautiful attraction the beautiful eyesight it is Whereas this futuristic design, even though it was a futuristic design, in my opinion, probably would have aged and it wouldn't have been as modern and futuristic uh, it's that, five years later.
1: Yeah, it's that same kind of problem they have with Tomorrowland everywhere where it's, you know, obviously Discoveryland in Paris, but where it's Tomorrowland in every other park and they have that issue of, well, it's it's not timeless, it's a vision of the future from at some point and that always gets increasingly dated.
0: But one of the things that we really, really like about this castle is that it's built up on a hill. Now, I know looking around the world and the different Disney parks, um, some of the more modern parks have a similar kind of um, castle that's a bit higher up. Um, but thinking back to Disneyland in California, the castle there, the original castle, is quite low gra- low to the ground, isn't it? The, there's no height to it, really. Um, and it's something that makes our castle in Paris stand out quite a lot. Um, and When you add to it the uh, square trees which are surrounding it, which are taken from the 1959 film Sleeping Beauty. It just kind of just feels magical the way that it's rising out of the ground. It does. And it particularly, I think, when you compare it
1: to the original Disneyland castle and they, they did think about, you know, maybe they should just take Sleeping Beauty's castle, which is in Disneyland, and just, just plonk it over in Paris, much like they did uh, for Tokyo with the Floridian uh, castle. But you kind of have this difference in terms of the disneyland castle is so as you say it's squat but it's also very square you know the the, the turrets are uh, the turrets are square the the roofs have much more square apexes and the beautiful thing about the hills that they've done with this castle is how much of a sort of subtle gradient you have in the kind of curving upwards towards the top it's there's nothing square at all about the whole thing and that's why the trees are cool because they are those tiny little bits of contrast just on the edge Juxtaposition?
0: Is that the the word I could use for that? Very fancy, I like it.
1: It's got an X in it and a J, that's a (laughs) high-scoring Scrabble word.
0: Write that one down, everybody. When you're playing a game of Scrabble, listening to our podcast, use that one. Um, Sleeping Beauty Castle of Disneyland was also potentially inspired, and I did practice this one, Neuschwanstein Castle in southern Germany. Uh, The influence was fine for building a castle in Anaheim, uh, but the fact that castles exist just down the road from Disneyland Paris uh, challenged us to think twice about the design so uh, Tony Baxter said um, unlike the castles of Disneyland and Walt Disney World Imagineers went out of their way to create a fanciful and fantastical castle that fit with the essence of Disneyland Paris and the European traditional Walt Disney film-esque aspect of Fantasyland They also didn't want the castle built blending in with the surrounding chateau of the Loire Valley so in order to create what we see today Imagineers looked at different castles and churches for inspiration there's a long list uh, we'll go through them quickly and we'll kind of talk about the different elements that were taken from them Simon do you want to start us off
1: yes the first one's Mont Saint-Michel and the uh, for anyone who doesn't know Mont Saint-Michel it's a sort of um, is it a castle it might be a cathedral actually but the the key thing about it is that it's on a rocky outcrop um, but on the coast and so it has this fantastic sense just like the castle in Paris of kind of a mountain blending into a tower that spires up into the sky
0: and um, I've seen pictures of that and again, obviously the scale's grander as it's a real castle and it's on massive rocky grounds Um, but yeah, just the way that it kind of commands its presence on the rocks and the the big tall um, spiralling towers towards the sky, absolutely brilliant Um, we also look from uh, the chateau at Chambord uh, the stained glass coupler which is the window above the archway um, some, some of the ideas were stolen from the stained glass there at Chateau at chambord uh, we've also got the spiral tree-like columns so we, when you go inside the castle um so a lot of people i can imagine a lot of people if if they're primarily there for uh, a thrill attraction um probably just walk through the castle don't really take much notice i know a lot of us do um but it'd be quite easy to miss the columns that are inside uh the chateau it's just amazing the way that the uh, the rock work looks like trees and all the, the branches, all it's just so intricate. The detail that they've got in there,
1: yeah. And I think one of the things that's really easy to miss as well is how much the interior is really inspired by cathedrals. On the outside, I don't think you can see many cathedral inspirations, but inside, you definitely get those kind of it's just subtle Gothic vibes, as you say. So obviously, the the tree line, uh, the tree style columns are gorgeous, but the vaulting on the ceiling above in the sort of main mezzanine area is is very cathedral like and it's gorgeous.
0: Yeah, the Disneyland Paris share quite often pictures, um, and they have done during this lockdown, uh, of so many of the details that you do see them. Um, but even if you're not a professional, taking professional photographs, um, it's dead easy to miss them when you're focusing on the different uh, aspects in the castle. But yeah, looking at the vaulted ceilings, the, just the detail everywhere, you could, you could probably spend a whole day in there and you still wouldn't get to see every single piece of little detail. Uh, the, the tree-like columns were from Saint Severin Church in uh, Paris. So if you haven't uh, visited there yet, once we're allowed to do so, uh, make sure you check that out. There were also some uh, towers that were from Azel Rido. Um I haven't actually seen that one. I should have done when I was doing some <laughs> research. Now another interesting piece of information about the towers, and we come back to this when we talk about what they're going to do to restore it in the future. Uh, or now, whether they're in the middle of doing it, um, the towers were created in Italy and sent through on trucks. So what a what a sight to see, the towers of a future Disneyland Paris castle uh, attached on two trucks and kind of brought through in, in through Paris uh, all, all the way from Italy. Um, and they were attached on the 2nd of August 1991. So we're getting quite close to opening date uh, for them to attach those big towers. Um, as soon as they were installed, though, David Todd who supervised the construction of the land said they realised the colour was not the one they wanted. So just imagine, having done all this preparation, all this work, uh, creating the towers in a different country, shipping them over uh, via road, installing them and realising, oh, wait a minute, we don't like that colour. Um, so they had to <laughs> decided to uh, repaint the, the colour of the castle. Um, and because, obviously, we're in France, some days it was so cold, apparently they say, that it, some those days it was so cold that the paint would not stick to the actual towers and it would just fall to the floor like snow. Now, as much as that's quite poetic and it does make a nice picture in your head, uh, it wouldn't be very nice if you're working on the rock work at the bottom of the castle, and all of a sudden you've got some uh, pink snow falling down onto you.
1: No, I bet that's not pleasant at all. It's a bit like, you know when you order like picture prints or something online and they arrive and you're like, oh, the colour's not right on this. Imagine that's what the feeling must have been like, but on a much grander scale. Just a little bit bigger. Yeah, just a little tiny bit, tiny bit.
0: Just, um, yeah, back to the pain falling off. And because it says snow, um, this is probably not the podcast for this kind of information, but at least it's pink snow and not yellow snow. <laughs> we've been away two years, but we've not got any class here. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's loads of subtle details put into the castle as well. We've already mentioned some of them. Um, there's Mickey heads formed within the, the tiles on the roof. So we've got the different blues uh, and some of the blues and a lighter blues are kind of arranged to kind of give the Mickey heads or the, the hidden Mickeys that people like to uh, to find while they're in the parks. Um, there's also coats of arms belonging to each of the artists. Well, not all the artists, but a few of the artists who worked on the design. Um, the Latin inscriptions on there refer to their roles. We've got Tony Baxter, whose inscription uh, translates to ruler of the entire realm. We've got Tom Morris, who is the ruler of the land obviously in charge of uh, the show producer of Fantasyland. The Disney Coat of Arms is also featured as well, and that features the Three Lions. Uh, It's on the left-hand side above the entrance to Fantasyland. Have you seen them before when you've been visiting, Simon? Yes. So, I mean, again, the
1: Coat of Arms is something you can really really miss quite easily, but uh, basically go into the castle, go stand in the middle of it. So on the left-hand side, you've got the stairs leading up uh, for the walkthrough attraction, and then just above you, where the first floor is,
0: they're just there. Now I'm not going to lie. I think I've, I've missed them. When I've seen the photographs, I'm like, oh, yes, I re- I've seen that before. But I can't remember actually stopping and having a look. Um, so I definitely will be next time taking my time to walk through this wonderful castle and having a little look on the left-hand side above the entrance to Fantasyland. Um, the castle stands exactly twice as tall as the 23-meter-high original in Sleeping Beauty Castle uh, in Disneyland in California. So I haven't been to California before, but I don't know, standing next to um, Sleeping Beauty Castle in Paris and then traveling over to California, I probably would be kind of a bit shocked by the size difference, really. Um, I'm so glad that they made the decision to go with a brand new uh, design, a brand new version and make it as big as possible.
1: Well, I think the, the size is an interesting thing. I mean, obviously, it's not how big it is, it's what you do with it. But there's a there's a sort of striking difference between, obviously, the, the original in California um, and what gets built in Paris in terms of the height. But it's still, it's, it's just shy of uh, the Tokyo Castle and the Floridian Castle, which, despite being similar designs, are not actually quite the same height. The Floridian one's taller. Um, and obviously, since then, they've kind of gone for an attitude of, Bigger is better. So the Shanghai Castle's another 20-odd foot higher than the Parisian one and so much wider and grander. And then I actually haven't got uh, the exact height in feet for the new Hong Kong Castle of Dreams, but again, I've whacked the height up on that <laughs> colossally. So it's interesting that when they were designing this castle, obviously slightly bigger than the original in uh, in California, but then that was always quite small and you know, built in the 50s, it was always going to be very different budgets. But they clearly didn't think in the same way as they did with Tokyo and Florida. This needs to be huge and imposing. It doesn't need to be... It's not about being massive and tall. It's about being beautiful. And I think that's, a, a, to be honest, actually, a very European decision to
0: take. It is. Do you not think as well that possibly that they've got the audience in mind and they're looking at the critics out there as well and thinking, well, if we open a park in Europe and the castle is just the same size as the California castle, or um, if it's not as big and as grand, do you think maybe it would be quite a negative thing in the press? I know there was quite a lot of negativity anyway with the parks.
1: Well, I think one thing they were trying to do, and there's, there's a, a, obviously the episode in the Imagineering doc on Disney+, Plus is great for this, when they, they talk about the kind of differing expectations that people have. And I think actually if they would have gone for that kind of bigger is better at you know I think that would have kind of played into the critics hands even more and this is one of the I think one of the really key things about understanding the beginnings of Disneyland Paris overall you can see it in the castle that they went to town on making sure that it was a a real work of art and a work of design rather than you know just a sort of slap together theme park attraction
0: yeah the the beauty does stand out we've discussed plenty of times over uh, the last 23 episodes um, just how beautiful the park is compared to some of the other elements of the other parks. Um, so, yeah, it, as well as making it quite tall, like you say, it's not massively tall. It's quite slender at the top, and the, uh, it kind of draws your eyes to certain points right at the top of the castle. Um, and You've mm-hmm. got the, uh, the gold and the weather vanes and things at the top. Um, so it, even though it is imposing, like you said a few minutes ago, it is quite delicate, um, and it isn't totally in your face
1: no absolutely not and another little detail actually while we're talking about these sort of subtle cool things that you can miss is that every uh, little the little golden weather vanes on top of them uh, on each turret are unique so they've got flags, crowns and Disney D's in there as
0: well Disney D's it's all about the D's <laughs> <laughs> again we've not got class here <laughs> well you did just say bigger is better about five minutes ago
1: it's not it's what you do with it, Andrew come on
0: <laughs> um, so yeah Apparently the pink and blue c- colouring of the castle... Now, I've I've only heard this once, uh, well, seen it once when i have doing the research. i never came across it before. But apparently people say that the pink and blue colouring of the castle is supposed to symbolise the changing colour of Aurora's dress in Sleeping Beauty. But I've also heard the more uh, commonly known um, fact that it is there to help the castle stand out against the uh, grey Harris sky. It's always grey. Yeah,
1: it is always grey. And you've got to remember for that that the... The comparative point is that previously the castles have been, they would had the sort of obviously grey of the stonework, but they were traditionally white, and white against the grey sky. Oh,
0: not a good look. No, very washed out. Um, see, I'm trying to think if there's anything we've missed about the kind of building of the castle and the originality of the castle. We are going to obviously de- delve really deep into the castle as it currently is now, with all the other elements to it, Um but yeah, we well, one on, more you. thing that I do want
1: to touch on because I think this is, I mean, this is fundamental for the whole park as well. Is that when they were designing the layout of literally the whole park to achieve this, they didn't want to have the sun behind the castle because it would ruin all of your photos you'd have you'd have the wrong exposure levels um and it, you know obviously you you can't have a backlit castle but totally weird um so they made sure that the castle was positioned so the sun would always be facing it but that obviously means <laughs> doing the whole theme park based around one camera angle and i love that that's good commitment
0: that's the detail i like to hear um we've Mentioned there about the colours um, from Aurora's dress, or we look at the, uh, the pinks and the blues uh, to help the castle stand out against the, the sky in Paris. Um, one of the features that we've talked about before is false perspective, um, when obviously the, the top of the castle is smaller than the bottom of the castle, which helps to make the castle look even bigger and grander than it is. Uh, but what they've also done to help with that is that the darker pink's at the bottom of the castle and it moves to a lighter pink as you make your way to the top. Uh, which is another uh, force perspective kind of technique to uh, help make this a lot bigger.
1: It's beautifully subtle, isn't it? And quickly, before we move on, I thought I'd just mention, uh, for anyone that's not seen it, the Disneyland Paris did a really nice video about the current refurbishment that they're doing of the castle. And in there, there's a lovely bit of an archive that they have of the top turret of the tower, fully constructed, being lifted up by a crane. And that gives you a really great impression of quite how large the sections of it were that were made in Italy and were transferred across. And of course, that's happening again for some the castle uh features there rebuilding whole turrets and they'll be lifted back into place again
0: yeah I'm hoping that uh, they'll do a live stream or some kind of time lapse and um, when they're gonna be doing that because it'd be really really interesting to see
1: I'm not looking forward to the crane coming back it'll be you know how the Walt Disney World crane got its own
0: Twitter account and everything I think <laughs> I think we might end up with that too well if nobody starts one I think you should definitely uh get that get the handle now before somebody creates it I'll get straight in there. Do it before we publish this episode so you've got access to it before anybody else does. Okay, by, by the time that this airs, guys, it's it's too late. You've missed it. I've, I've got it, okay? You can buy it from Simon, though, if you wish. <laughs> we're not going to be charging anybody for our podcast episodes. We're not going to go on to... Uh, what are the people? Patreon. We're not going to do a Patreon. A, because it means you have to create even extra more extra content <laughs> for our fans. Um, but yeah, we're going to make money by creating Twitter handles and selling them on other people so um, you can just follow simon's individual personal twitter account to ask him for some details if you wish to buy it (laughs) so yeah um one of the things that's happened over the years it's been well it's nearly 30 years now i remember a few weeks ago it felt like it was the 25th anniversary um but yeah after the first anniversary the castle was dressed like a cake now as you can imagine there was quite a lot of guest complaints about that i don't know how i feel it's quite funny what, looking back at the images uh, and video footage of the castle from the first anniversary. Um, not really. Well, I don't want to say I'm not a fan of it because it looks quite cool uh, for a one kind of year gimmick. Um, I'm not too fussed about it because obviously they're not going to keep it there forever. It never, it never was there forever. The plan was just for it to be a kind of limited edition kind of overlay. Um, they probably wouldn't do it the same way now. Anyway, fingers crossed, but. Yeah, it did look quite tacky. When do you think about the anniversary castle?
1: Yeah, you've not said it, but I'm going to say it. it. It was awful. It really didn't look good. I can see why people were complaining about it. It's We've just talked wax lyrical about how they, in the initial design, spent so much time making sure that it was a beautiful work of art. So to then slap on a sort of <laughs> slightly scrappily put together plasticky cake
0: effect, it just it was, it was a juxtaposition and it was not a good one we're talking of that's, that's, that's the second juxtaposition in this, this episode that's amazing. I hope someone's playing bingo with us <laughs> have a shot every time we say projection mapping there's one um, <laughs> speaking of projection more mapping so though, like we've obviously the technology we've got now and it's even more advanced than it was when we last done an episode of this ep- podcast um, I can imagine if they were going to do anything similar it would just be projected onto the castle these days they wouldn't put the expense or the time or the negativity potential uh, into a physical uh, costume for the castle they wouldn't they wouldn't do that again well
1: i'm not sure actually because obviously in in florida they've just added extra turrets around the side of the castle and for the was it 50th anniversary in you know, maybe 60th anniversary in, in disneyland you know they had sort of diamond chains on it and uh, sort of bunting style not really bunting style, massive flags on it which again I, to be honest i thought it was a bit tacky so they're, they're still doing overlays
0: that is true. But they're not doing a full-on... But they're not cakes. Cake. Not doing it. would <laughs> be like one of those TikToks that's going around now where it, it looks like it's real, and you cut into it and it's a cake. So all we need is Disneyland Paris to get on with that trend, and they'll fly in a big, giant knife and cut the whole castle in half. That would be a To big... be fair, if
1: at the auberge restaurant they decided to make a pudding that was the castle, people would pay good money for that.
0: So... What you're suggesting is that they bring out a one-year anniversary castle cake in memory of the first anniversary. Yeah. Write that one down. We'll send that in an email to Disneyland Paris. Well, that's another sellable idea today. It did look, yeah. I was trying to be nice and polite and say I wasn't... Looking back, because I didn't have to see it in real life and I didn't go to Disneyland Paris at the time, it wasn't a problem for me because it wasn't affecting me. Uh, And it's quite funny to look back at it and think, oh, that's nice. celebrated it with a nice castle cake. Um, But yeah... It would have been horrible to have seen that in real life, especially when you, 1993, the first year anniversary. For a lot of people, it probably would be the first time going to the the park and to have that as the castle. Yeah, it it's wouldn't. quite a
1: bold thing to do one year into its existence, <laughs> isn't
0: it? Yeah, here's how we've spent four years making this wonderful castle. It's so elegant. Look at the square trees. Oh, the square trees are also now next to a big giant cake.
1: You know the guy who'd repainted it loads of times and had struggled with, like, the paint not fitting on? He must have been so annoyed when he looked. That was like, you've covered it in cake,
0: are you joking? <laughs> all my effort. All the yellow snow dripping down for that. For Dur- that? <laughs> During the fifth anniversary, um, they didn't learn from the mistakes, really. In <laughs> <sorry>, 1997, <laughs> the castle was decorated in carnival masks, jester hats and thrills and bells, to promote the animated film the hunchback of notre dame and that lasted until the beginning of 1998 so another year of so we're talking so this is the 5th anniversary so already um 2 of the year 2 of the 5 years the castle hasn't looked like an original castle
1: no it's strange isn't it and i think you kind of have to see this in the context of the park was really struggling at the time to get people through the door and this is a sort of cheap way that they can drum up something a little bit different, change the aesthetic of the place. You know, maybe they were going for a bit of a all publicity is good publicity kind of angle, but that is a strange thing.
0: It is strange, but they've years, kind, with such a beautiful building, they've kind of, they're not putting the uh, overlays on in physical form at the moment yet, but it's all about the IP at the moment I know we've we've talking about this uh, the Buzz Lightyear episode last time um, with the Buzz Lightyear IP uh, obviously they had this Notre Dame it was French they're in Paris as you say the park was struggling so they're obviously thinking right we're just going to throw the dice we're just going to give us some news any news is good news we'll just whack the Jester hat on there we'll say it's related to this new film um, if anything the the movie would do well out of it and the, the, part, the castle has to suffer for that so I can see kind of where they were coming from. But again, looking back, two years out of five years, and the castle just looks like a joke, doesn't it? Well, I mean, it was just as a jester, so literally, yes. Literally a joke. So, yeah, let's, let's take it now to what the, ca- the castle is currently like. Now, well, we say currently like, but it, it was currently like this when we were planning on recording this episode. Uh, currently, the castle, if you haven't seen it, is covered in lots of scaffolding. Uh, they've nearly finished putting the tarp on the front of the castle as well and the back um sort of 360 tarp um they are currently working on renovating the castle and as simon alluded to a minute ago um they're going to be kind of replacing all of the ca- the turrets uh, and the towers of the castle um they're going to be bringing in new ones probably made of new material um freshly painted and hopefully they won't need painted again when they're on site in a few uh, months time but they're the tap on the front is going to be quite interesting. Uh, I have no plans yet at the moment to visit Disneyland Paris uh, in the next 12 months. Um, and I know, Simon, you were due to go J- July last year, and obviously that didn't happen.
1: Fully booked to go for the first time in many a year, and uh, yeah, a, a certain major world event got in the way.
0: <laughs> would knowing that the Paris Castle is under a tap, even though there's a, like a nice big full-scale replica on the front of it, would that stop you from going back? apart from the forget about coronavirus and the traveling would that be enough to stop you from going to be honest it actually could be it actually could be it's so synonymous with just the soul of the place i
1: kind of struggle to imagine what it would be like without it if you see what i mean i mean maybe maybe i'd be less concerned about it you know once i'm at a point where i could like not get arrested for traveling abroad (laughs) but (laughs) yeah i do think it's it's the kind of major thing that would put you off like if space mountain was shot.
0: or if it was hyperspace mountain <laughs> yeah um so yeah i haven't been for a few years now um but thinking having three or four visits in a in a quite quick succession i it probably wouldn't be enough to stop me from going um just being able to stand there listen to the atmosphere and get on the attractions again would be enough for me but i i'm kind of in a different position than you whereas uh, it has been quite a number of years now since you've stepped foot in the park so I can see why it would be something that would stop you from uh, kind of taking the plunge if you're going to spend because the prices go up over the time it's probably going to go up even more in the next few years just being like the travelling and recuperation of costs and things like that so you, when you're outlaying that much money you want it to be the best kind of it can be and if, if, if there's an attraction down or a closure of an attraction fair enough um, but like I say the, the, the big icon, the weenie in the middle of the park it is probably enough for a lot of people uh, not to travel um, but we'll come back to what they're going to do in the re- renovation in a minute we're looking now at the current castle like i say before and um, they put the tarpauling up and the scaffolding so it's just yeah there's so many elements to it and we've, we've so far only touched on the design elements of the overall castle um, but we've got underneath we've got there's so many layers to it Um, So we've got the dungeon, which is unique to uh, to Disneyland Paris, uh, or it was when it started. We've then got the main walkway when you're kind of winding up the hill uh, to the main doors uh, of the castle. And then you've got the other level as well, which is a little walkthrough attraction which opened a year later. So where should we start? Should we start our way from the bottom to the top? Or the top to the
1: bottom? No, let's go from the bottom to the top.
0: (laughs) We'll work our way up. (laughs) So yeah, Le Tenier du Dragon. Do you want to have a go at speaking French? What do you think it's called?
1: Le Tannier du Dragon.
0: Dragon. There Dragon. Now, yeah, at the time, uh, 1992, the largest, the biggest, the largest animatronic ever built. Now, there was rumours uh, from the research I've been reading about. They, they didn't really, we um, didn't know if they were going to go with the animatronic to begin with. Um, it's quite a big uh, feat of engineering and a big uh, it's brave of them to actually do this, especially when, even nowadays, you speak, like when I go on school trips with students, I'll say, have you been to see the dragon? Uh, they'll have no idea what I'm talking about. So it's still well hidden away. Um, and I can imagine quite a lot of guests are still missing it as well.
1: Yeah, I think so. It's, it's I mean, it's, to be honest, it's not really signposted. You have to kind of know that it's there. One of the weird things about the castle is that there are a, there are an awful lot of walkways around it. It's actually very um, open when you think about it. When you think about sort of walkways upstairs, outside, upstairs, you know the pathways going down inside turrets. I mean, there's a whole shop in there. So yeah, it's definitely easy for people to miss things.
0: So like, if a lot of people talk um, about this being Maleficent from Sleeping Beauty, which would make sense, seen as though it's Sleeping Beauty's castle. It would be quite useful if the kind of stories were connected. Um, The dragon barely resembles her at all, apparently though. Um, I can't remember what. Well, I know what Maleficent looks like, but I've never thought about referring to them both. Um, The interesting thing is though, on the official park material from Disneyland Paris itself, the uh, dragon is actually referred to as a male, it's a male dragon. And the dragon's official backstory suggests that it was found in the neck by Merlin and kept under his magic shop, which is obviously uh, in the castle safekeeping Now, where's that I, think, Cause I, haven't, I haven't heard that story before.
1: I think it's quite nice to not have something that's overtly linked to an IP. I mean I know we sort of don't often consider the original Disney films to be IP but yeah, I, I just think it's, it's quite nice that you're not, li- they haven't limited themselves to okay this is just from this one film. They've gone okay this is having a life of its own and we've got different stories that we're bringing in here.
0: Yeah, Merlin as well. There's so many different stories of Merlin and we've discussed this in Phantom Manor episodes and Big Thunder Mountain episodes where we've talked about it's quite nice that people have their own interpretation of the story. Uh, I understand from a marketing point of view that Disneyland Paris will want to have like the official story. This is the official line. Um, so all of their marketing materials kind of um, correspond with each other and the consistent. But I still think it's nice that people can go in with their own different ideas um i think it works quite well in paris obviously we've got the different languages we've got the english the french the german the dutch the italian the spanish so um, we've got all these different languages and different people so there doesn't have to be an overt story it doesn't have to be this is the story come and visit and obviously in, a, in an english-speaking park that might have happened with whether it's a voiceover or signs uh, that are up in different places but due to the language um the difference in language i think it's quite nice that You can still kind of interpret this in your own way, even if the uh, official backstory is that it's kind of Merlin's dragon.
1: Yeah, and we'll definitely get to this idea of telling stories without overt language when we talk about the walkthrough.
0: Yes, indeed. Um, Also, from my research, I found that the dragon figure was a reproduction of a figure which was produced for the Cinderella Castle Mystery Tour at Tokyo Disneyland, Uh, and a third partial copy of the figure was planned for the Discovery Riverboat attraction at Disney's Animal Kingdom. But as with all things Disney, it was cancelled due to budget cuts. <laughs> <laughs> Classic. Um, the dragon's design, um, again, kind of this, the research is so interesting because in some areas you find out that this is based on Maleficent and it's not, this is Merlin's dragon. Um, but the dragon's design is a blend of Maleficent's dragon uh, and form and the dragon Taro from the rare Harryhausen film The Seventh Voyage of Sinbad. Any likenesses of them?
1: I've never seen The Seventh Voyage of Sinbad, but that's a, it's interesting to note that that's a 1958 film, so they've sort of stuck with that kind of era of artistic design throughout the castle.
0: Whatever it is, it's a really big-ass dragon. <laughs> <laughs> um, I like the idea that they were just sat around going, whatever we
1: do, massive dragon.
0: Yeah, it doesn't matter who it looks like or who it's based off, just make him big. Make, make it big. massive and make the head
1: move and
0: breathe fire. Yeah, so yeah, originally the the um the dragon was meant to be breathing actual fire, I think, wasn't it? That's what the rumors say. That's what the rumors say. Um, I've got to, I've missed that part. There was a part where, it... wait a minute, yeah, uh, the dragon would breathe fire when it officially first opened, um, and when it woke up from its sleep. Obviously, the dragon is sleeping. Um, depending on what uh, kind of moment in the um, animatronic cycle you kind of visit, the dragon. It's it's not well in my head. It's snoring away, and then all of a sudden it starts waking up and goes crazy. Uh, But originally, when it woke up, uh, it was supposed to breathe fire, but that feature was uh, shut off and turned off um, because if the animatronics failed and the dragon didn't raise his head up uh, properly, um, the breath or the fire would be aimed directly at guests. I don't know why we don't. Well, a bit of danger. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, should bring that back. Yeah, fine. (laughs) That's one way of. Burning off the uh, coronavirus. <laughs> Everybody has to make the yeah, way through it's all about them. Ventilating a room. <laughs> uh, but yeah, just imagine standing there. The dragon's supposed to be waking up, and all of a sudden there's just a flamethrower in your face. That wouldn't be nice, would it?
1: I think they turned it off because they didn't want Armageddon to feel bad that it would be effectively stealing its one trick.
0: <laughs> oh, there's another shot, Armageddon. Uh, we can we can have the fire back now. Armageddon's long gone. Yeah, there's no pre-show for um, this walkthrough attraction either. Now, would you would you class the the dragon the dragon's lair as a separate attraction to the castle? Um, well, or, I, you
1: say there's no pre-show for this, but I mean, in essence, Main Street is the pre-show to
0: this. That is true. To the to, to just a dragon, or to the whole castle. No, just the dragon. The dragon's the best bit. No, of course, the whole castle. <laughs> the whole of the park is just the pre show for just the, the dragon. Pre show to the dragon, yeah. To
1: be fair, I sometimes think that about about Space Mountain.
0: So the, the whole park's just a pre show to Space Mountain? Yeah, exactly. Or was until it was Hyperspace Mountain. But anyway. Uh, yeah. We, we definitely need to revisit that podcast in a future episode. It's been about seven years, 10 years. I don't know how many years it's been, but it's been a long time. Uh, it'd be quite it has interesting, a long time. Uh, to rediscover that attraction. Maybe once we've rinsed all of the attractions we can find, we'll do another episode on Space Mountain. Possibly in time for it to be reverted back to uh, the original version. When they bring back the moon. Bring back the moon. There's probably more chance of us landing on the moon than them bringing back the moon. <laughs> um so yeah, this is what I was talking about before. Uh, the dragon was initially going to be a static figure, but Hardin, who designed this uh, wonderful dragon, uh, persuaded her supervisor that it could be an audio animatronic that could be in continuous motion. And what a decision it was! Um, the dragon was also going to be fenced in by a skeleton of another dragon, uh, with a sword in its chest, and at later, um, a chain with the links going like helmets—sorry, uh, looking like helmets and shields—but uh, neither idea was used do you think well i was going to say would you think it was a bit scary for the younger audience but having a massive moving dragon breathing fire probably was scary enough wasn't it it is kind of scary but the
1: the nice link that they would have had then is of course that behind the castle you have the sword and the stone yes so there would have been a nice continuity to that but to be fair i think it's already we've already mentioned people managed to miss this i think sometimes dragons you know sleeping you could accidentally kind of walk through and not realize there's a dragon at all so if you shove it behind some some bones it's probably gonna hide it a bit too much i think they made the right decision there
0: yeah one is that believe it or not people simon's done some research and done some notes for this episode um and one of the it best It happens occasionally <laughs> one of the best well this happened more than 12 months ago so one of the best uh, one of the best bullet points you've got on there is very dark um have you ever entered? <laughs> have you ever entered the dragon's lair from Merlin's shop in the castle?
1: You know, I don't think I have. I think I always go into the front entrance or the back entrance. I
0: kind of forget. There's a—it's a
1: very narrow pathway
0: in there. It Probably is. I sh- just thinking back Shut, due to COVID at the minute. Just thinking back to the last time I visited uh, when, because it's not always open, the staircase from the shop. I'm not sure if it was for safety reasons or not, but um, last time I went down there, very very dark. So the castle itself isn't super, super bright inside, but once you kind of go from the shop and you're going down the Spiral Stairs, yeah, there's, that was an accident waiting to happen. I think I've uh, tripped and fell a few times myself just walking down there. Um, so yeah, <laughs> make sure... But one thing I was going to say, make sure you use the torch, but don't do that because that'll spoil the illusion. And there's nothing worse than when somebody's taken a photograph of the dragon and they don't know that turning the flash off would probably make for a better photograph. Yeah, I think this is
1: actually come to think of it this is one of the sort of interesting old school aspects about this. In that nowadays when they're putting together scenes they'll try and really brighten up focal points or they'll use projection mapping or you know all these kind of different techniques. Maybe it's maybe it's some um, uh, some black light paint or something. We don't have any of this in that. It's literally, it's just a dark room with a slightly smoking dragon in there and some bubbling water. It's really old school. It's really naturalistic. And I think the effect's great.
0: Yeah, and as much as we joke about always trying to put projection mapping into something, I don't think we need to touch this. I think as long as the animatronics work in and uh, there's nobody falling down the stairs and there's no one taking flash photography, I think we kind of leave it as it is. Just make it nice and beautiful. Fresh. I mean, it's un-
1: underneath the the rockwork hill, so it's underneath the natural, quote unquote, part of the castle,
0: uh, and it sort of follows through in its design. Does doesn't need to be changed one bit. Um, a final little bit here on the uh, dragon's lair. The attraction was featured in the discontinued game Virtual Magic Kingdom, with a dragon that looked closer to Maleficent's dragon, um, that gave the players in-game currency daily. Did you play Virtual Magic Kingdom? I've never played that, but I do like the
1: idea of going into a dungeon and a dragon handing you money. That's quite a reverse <laughs> of how it normally is. Now we've just... yeah, They, they normally
0: take money off you, do the Simon? All the time. It's yeah. really frustrating. And as we said at the start, every time you walk around a corner, there's a castle in England, so you must be bumping into these dragons. You must have no money A lot left. of dragons. Loads of them everywhere. Yeah, um... I can't even... No, there's nothing else I don't think we need to mention about the dragon. Unless there's anything I've missed. It's just so magical. It, It's just... Yeah, it just carries on the story, doesn't it? I know we've started from the bottom and we're going to make, make our way up, but... Every visit, it's worth a little, um, a little tour inside there. As like we mentioned before, there's so many people that don't know it's there. It's not very over the signposted, if, if at all. So it's one of those, if I'm going with new people to the park, I like to say, look, I've got something to show you, and... Um, doesn't sound good, but I take them into a dark cave underneath a castle, um, <laughs> show them my you. dragon. <laughs> <laughs> it's not breathing fire anymore. <laughs> anyway, let's move up. So, um, even though the, the main cap, the main part of the castle is on a hill, because it, it's kind of a slow slope up. Um, I know from the back of the stairs and a few ramps. Um, but it's such a nice walk up, isn't it? As the kind of the bridge and the stonework kind of appears uh, from the, the hub of Main Street. And you're kind of working your way up into uh, onto the little kind of drawbridge. Uh, we haven't mentioned yet the, uh, the, the kind of moat outside where the fountains are. And who can forget how wonderful those fountains were used in the magical Disney Dreams projection oh. show.
1: Oh, I loved it. What a tragedy that it's gone.
0: And they, they kind of, they're they still going on. The, the, the fountains do spray up and down and the, the LEDs that they installed for Dreams are still used every now and then. Um, I don't think I've been past one of our castles in England and some fountains have sprayed up and hit me in the face. So it, again, it's it kind of adding an extra layer, an extra layer of magic. Um, but it is just quite nice when you're walking past and you can see the, the sprinkling of the water in front of the castle. It's so nice. nice. And another thing we haven't
1: mentioned is how... The, the base level of the castles pretty much flat to Main Street. You have the, the drawbridge, but you, you pretty much carry on flat. It's, there's not much raise in it at all. But to make it look like you're kind of going up in there, they've lowered that entrance into the dragon's lair. And that's really clever because it just gives you that perspective as if the castle's higher than it actually is.
0: Yeah, that's true. I never realised actually. Uh, it does give you the impression that you are going, up a, not a steep hill, but when you're walking up to the castle, it does make it feel higher up, doesn't it? Um, even though it's actually not. Even though it's not. That's, clever, clever. That, yeah, it's blowing my mind, that. I should have, have <laughs> realised that. It's, it's not even in the research notes. No, everybody everybody learns something, even me. <laughs> Every day's a school day. <laughs> oh, no, don't remind me of school. It's the holidays, I'm forgetting about school. <laughs> so, yeah, what shops do we have inside once you're in there?
1: Well, we've got two shops in there. We've got, well, we've talked a lot about Merlin's shop, which, uh, at least in the past, used to focus on selling some swanky glass stuff and a lot of uh, ornaments inspired by things like Sword and the Stone. I haven't been in there in a very long time, and so I, to be honest, I can't remember whether this is another shop that's been slightly brutalized with just more general merch. Is it like When you were last there, is it still keeping that kind of bespoke feel to it?
0: Yeah, it's. Um... When I last time I was there, I remember they were still blowing the glass as well, so we still had the people working away uh, with the Bunsen burner, um, making all the little glass ornaments. So as far as I'm aware, that's still there. It's still the same. That's way. Very cool. Uh, obviously, with um, anything Disney, there are more and more IP and kind of sweets and chocolates and things hanging up on the walls. Um, but that's always going to be the case. But yeah, it's uh, it's still such a nice um, place to be. A lot of people I know go. Uh, when they go into to Disneyland Paris and they want like uh, some kind of special memento from their trip whether it's for a partner or a mother or something like that, they normally get something nice from there um, like I say, it's quite unique it's something different, it's not just getting a, a Mickey Mouse plush toy, is it?
1: No, and it's nice again that we've spoken so much about how they put the effort into making it an artistic and beautiful castle that you follow through that theme with having that same experience in the shops too
0: yeah, it does, it makes you feel, and when, when you used to be able to go down the stairs into the Dragon's Lair from that castle as well, it just kind of all went together. And it, it just, it feels like you are inside the castle. It's like stepping into Warwick Castle, for example, and there being a ye olde um, glass shop. Um, and it does feel like that still. Um, the net, The other shop in there is a bit different though. Yeah.
1: Le Boutique du Chateau, which is a beautiful name for a shop that does just sort of sell your general, uh, your general Disney merch. But what's cool in there is that they have a, there's an absolutely beautiful fireplace in there, uh, and that's inspired by the Once Upon a Dream song sequence.
0: Now, is that... And this is where I need to double-check, and I should have done this off the recording. Um, there's a Christmas shop. Now, I want to know, I'm sure that the Christmas shop is what used to be Chateau... Uh, la Boutique du Chateau unless I'm getting it wrong so uh, there might also be a Christmas well there definitely is a Christmas shop because last time I was there um, in July or whatever time of year it was definitely wasn't Christmas and there was uh, Christmas trees baubles everyone was buying baubles there was people with baubles everywhere just ready for their Christmas decorations on their tree to be fair Disney baubles are the best baubles but uh, isn't that just sort of at one side of the shop is that all right? That, yeah actually I think you're right because it wasn't that big space, so I wonder if it was just a section. I, I've just know I've, I've just known it has the Christmas shop. Uh, I've obviously blanked out all the rest of the the general. Merch. That's a, that's a good kind of raison
1: d'être to have.
0: Just be like, that's the Christmas one. <laughs> My brain calls it the Christmas shop anyway. Easy enough. Um, yeah, but I remember buying. Definitely bought a couple of baubles. Possibly some like a ribbon or something to go on the tree as well. As you do in February or July or whatever time it was I went.
1: Uh it's always Christmas. It's
0: always Christmas at some point. <laughs> it's it's strange to think, and we mentioned at the start that the uh, the walkthrough that we're gonna talk about in a second as we continue our way up uh the castle. The walk that 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 wasn't open as an attraction in the first year. So it was only when it had its wonderful cake design that such a wonderful uh walkway. And walk through attraction opened up in the castle.
1: Yeah, it was the 23rd of March in 1993 that it eventually opened. Which is, it's quite a sort of. Uh, to be fair, I think it's another thing that people people miss. So I doubt people were wandering around and thinking, "Oh, there's something seriously missing here." But I mean, again, all, all the all the castles have a walk through attraction. Um, so that it wasn't there from opening day is a little bit sad. But to be fair, when it did open, it, it packed a punch and it was well worth it.
0: Oh, it's definitely worth it. and The only thing that kind of alerts you to the fact that there's something happening is that wonderful golden book at the bottom of the staircase. And that you're looking at... To, to be honest, a lot of people probably will just walk past that. As we said before, it's a kind of their way through to Fantasyland. Uh, they'll go to the castle, get the photographs, and just walk straight under, and they'll go out the other side into the Fantasyland and try and pull the sword out of the stone. Um, but if you look uh, up the stairs... And you walk past this nice golden book which is from Sleeping Beauty it's kind of the book from the beginning of the film isn't it where it kind of starts telling you the uh, the the establishing of the story Um, sometimes if if you don't see other people walking up that staircase in front of you probably is easy to miss it if you're a first time visitor to the castle
1: it is but it's also one of those things that's a great bit of visual placemaking so it's just the cover of a book and everyone knows that means there's a story to come and then it's right next to stairs going up which, you know, is a kind of inviting beginning of an adventure.
0: Never thought of it that way before, but it's kind of right in your face, isn't it? Like you said, it's a story that's the cover of the book. Um, is there an end of the book? Do we see the back of the book anyway to say that the story is over? <laughs>
1: Well, there's there's pages of the book as you go around. I mean, my French isn't brilliant, and it's in French, so I sort of don't really <laughs> don't pay loads of attention to the book. Is there a there might well be a page that's the end? I tell you what, we have a podcast question in every podcast, we so do. that can be today's one. Can someone find us a picture of a, the end
0: page in the book? That's a really good question. I was more meaning if we've got the front cover of the book, is there the back of the book somewhere? obviously they're not going to have the back of a book but um, having the pages uh, as you go around, I'm sure like you say, if we were were to take our time and read it, translate it there could well possibly be um, the pages that kind of tell the end of the story or tell us that the story is over. So as Simon says, you win nothing but you could, well possibly you might win that Twitter handle for the DLP crane. You can have a crane You can have the crane Twitter handle as the prize. You need to make sure you set one up now though just in case anyone wins I'm on it <laughs> so yeah um, absolutely amazing story um, You could again we could spend hours and hours and hours talking about this and I could spend hours sitting there just watching it all um, but yeah what you do is you start off with that book as we mentioned go up the staircase uh, you've then got the stained glass of the king uh, giving the daughter up for marriage as Maleficent watches on <laughs> might have a sound effect for that somewhere Go on, crack that out. Now that
1: we've got the big mixing desk, we've gotta use it.
0: Wait a minute. Oh. That wasn't that scary, was it? Oh. No, that wasn't that good. Scrap <laughs> scrap that. <laughs> we said we're back and better than ever, but I mean we're we're definitely back at least. <laughs> we're definitely back. So yeah, um the stain, the stained glass. Now, the the maker of that, the British guy that created all the stained glass windows in this walkthrough attraction, La Galerie de la Belle au Bois de he came out of retirement to create these kind of artworks. Now, just imagine you've retired, you're sitting there with a brew or a cup of tea with your your feet up, with your slippers on, and you get a a phone call. It's Disney. Uh, A Disney want to know? It's not Scottish, I don't think, but anyway. Just fantastic. What would it take for you to come out of retirement after having spent years and years and years working on a stained glass window?
1: I mean, it does show the level of ambition that they had with this castle, doesn't it? I mean, Peter Chapman was someone who'd had restored Notre Dame's rose window, which amazingly was something that did survive the fire, thank God. Um, you know, you couldn't really have picked someone better in Europe to do this job. And given that normally... Disney Imagineering designs are, you know they're like film set designs aren't they they're sort of you do something fake that looks real but really you're doing it as sort of cheap as possible well it's not if you're getting one of the best guys in Europe to be making this bit of art for you
0: yeah it sure like, they were getting the craftsmanship in across the whole park from the top top people at the time um, and it, even though we're talking about the skies of Paris, not all the time being grey, um, but sometimes there is a bit of sunlight. But even like the greyest of days, just the amount, the amount of natural sunlight that comes through the stained glass windows and the colours that it produces, just mesmerising, isn't it?
1: It's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's—it's. It's, I mean, you have to sometimes wonder, I do think. We know that in Paris, they admit now that they spent too much money and that's kind of, you know, it's, I mean, it's hampered the resort for the next 20 years of its existence, but God, you you sort of think this is the kind of stuff that really does set it apart. So surely this was one of the things that it was worth spending the money on.
0: Though I guess the question should be there. Definitely. Um, We've then also got on the windows, so it's Maleficent, which is causing chaos at the ceremony, the wedding ceremony. Uh, We then go into different tapestries. Now, we've listed them here, so we've got wonderful hand-woven tapestries, again, using some amazing techniques from amazing artists from around the world. We've got Sleeping Beauty, uh, who is then tricked to prick her finger. We've then got a tapestry that she sleeps. uh, As she sleeps, sorry, the spinning wheel spins on. Um, We've got the actual um, spinning wheel animatronic, haven't we, that spins around and around and around and around, again, bringing the story to life. And then the wonderful uh, tapestry area there of the sleeping guards. The two kind of guards, kind of work of what they're called, armor. That's what I'm thinking of. got the two sleeping guards their armor there um snoring away and if you listen carefully you can hear them snoring it's such a wonderful little detail one of those extra details again if you're just walking through these really quickly you can miss these if you're not taking the time
1: yeah i think one of the cool things about this whole walkthrough is that by and large it's actually all very static it's a total contrast to what's going on with the dragon down below you know they've taken bits of art and they're static and they just put them in front of you you know beautiful stained glass windows beautiful european made and designed tapestries you know such a kind of intrinsically french thing almost isn't it uh and i think there's maybe one of them that has a little bit of a sort of sparkle effect added to it but other than that they're just there it's you know it's i mean it's called a gallery and it literally is like gallery and that only sort of the one bit of animatronic you have is a is a spinning wheel and I think that's nice and if you draw a comparison to the walkthrough that they have in Disneyland I mean first off that's a very sort of controlled walkthrough as well it's a it's a linear path you have to follow it you can't go around backwards backs and or something as you can in Paris but all of the little features that they have there all of the windows uh, and the tableaus they're all animated somehow but in Paris there's kind of this feeling that, well, they they don't need to do that they don't need to do anything super special they don't need to use any fancy technologies they can go back to old school styles of art making and just do it brilliantly
0: is it because and we've mentioned before about the, the design of the castle do you think the european audience um the amount, because of the amount of art that they've got in their their countries or across europe kind of lends itself to that way kind of from a young age you're used to going to Museums and possibly art galleries, and seeing kind of static, wonderful works of art. Do we, maybe we don't need it shoved in our face as much. Possibly, yeah, I, I think
1: so. I mean, you've got the Louvre an hour away. It's, it's, you know, they kind of you know, they kind of backed themselves into a corner when they decided to build a theme park in Paris. You have that problem of, there's so much extraordinary art and culture around that you can't dish up anything that's second rate because everyone will think it's rubbish and scrappy. So, you know, they, they didn't have a choice but to do a good job of it. But I think it's nice that they didn't feel the need. They were confident enough in the ability of the art that they were producing that they didn't need to overproduce it, basically.
0: Yeah, and the idea is that it's telling the story and you've got the pages of the book. So it's kind of like you're stepping into the page of the book. Um, you're not even going into the film, which it's kind of, obviously, with the Disney Sleeping Beauty film, uh, the IP they've got there. We're you're not, you're not taking too much. I know the, the, the stained glass are characters from the film version, but because it is so static, it is just like you're kind of looking into the page of the book, isn't it? Yeah, kind of, although there is, you know,
1: there is parallels to the film, of course, because, I mean, this is this is one of uh, Walt Disney's first, and these are hand-drawn cell animations. So, again, it's it's got that kind of artistic vibe that does still uh, enmesh it and connect it all through.
0: Such wonderful uh, wonderful artwork. And we need a bit of comedy in, in here every now and then, so the, the suits of armour that are snoring just makes a little bit of comedy in there as well, just to keep it. Just to kind of keep you knowing that you, this is a Disney attraction, um, it's not 100% all about the wonderful artwork. Here's a little bit of fun uh, element to it as well. Um, nice little it's
1: snoring. great. I was I was watching some walkthrough uh, videos of the castle to you know bring it bring it back into my mind after so long before we were recording this, and it's great. You can see everyone who goes up there with a camera, sort of leaning into the suits of armor and be like, hey, listen to the snoring. It's wonderful. People love
0: it. <laughs> tell you what we could do totally ruin how wonderful and artistic is. is wouldn't it be cool to have like a a Disneyland Paris kind of hidden camera show (laughs) and what you do is we just replace one of the suits of armour with somebody in the actual suit snoring away then all of a sudden the suit of armour wakes up and taps you on the shoulder when you're posing with it I'll take that job get a photo pass photographer on there as well if you can find one and we'll put them in that location (laughs) we'll have that they can have that idea as well so yeah like I say it's the top one of the tips is that you start on the left hand side that's a top tip you can like you mentioned before you're kind of not forced which way to go around the gallery Um, you obviously don't go down the stairs to go out Uh, you go onto the balcony with some wonderful views of Fantasyland Uh, if you've got a good enough camera and a good enough lens as well if somebody is already down in Fantasyland you can get a nice photograph uh, looking up onto the balcony of the castle um some wonderful memories I've got uh, of different groups of people in front of there with the photographs there um even when you're out there like the the dele- the attention to detail on the balcony uh, you've got the rock work you've got the you can obviously are close to the roof tiles then as well um, it all just kind of, the the back of the the castle does start to blend in very nicely with the surrounding fantasy land fantasy land behind it
1: it does. This is one of the really clever things about the design of it. And to be fair, all, all the um, castles around around the world do do this. The front of the castle looks so on its own, doesn't it? You know, you don't see another building next to it. It's just singular. And then you come to the back and it's perfectly connected up to um, Snow White on sort of right-hand side if you're looking at the castle from the back and then the Aberge restaurant on the left.
0: Yeah, it's... It- it's a really good point so like from the front you can't even see the fantasy land is there so you've got the trees it's getting higher and higher up but then like you say from the back from the back side it's like a really big courtyard which just part of the castle which is very typical of a, a castle that you will see in Europe as well um, is that to kind of in, to put like an imposing sight on the, the enemy who are coming towards it is it to kind of warn them off like look how grand and big this are we are in the middle of nowhere whereas then behind you've got thousands of thousands of people already in armed, in their armour, ready with bow and arrow, ready to fire on you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know who they're trying to scare away, like Maleficent I suppose? Because <laughs> all they need to do is set the dragon out.
1: That's yeah, exciting. easy.
0: As long as the fire's still working. So, um... Yeah, one of the things that we'll need to talk about as well, we mentioned very, very briefly, was the Nighttime Projection show. Now before that, over the years... The castle has been the kind of backdrop and the template for all of the different um, fireworks show. Um, when I think of Disney from when I was younger, before I even really got into Disneyland Paris, it was always about the projection, not the projection, the fireworks show. Sorry. So it was always about the big bangs, the more spectacular fireworks that you can buy. Um, any fireworks show that you go to, as like a local event or even national event, kind of it was it was kind of an insignificant version. If it wasn't Disney, then you weren't doing fireworks, right?
1: No, and we know, we know how many tens of thousands they spend on fireworks every night. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and if you don't, watch the Disney Dreams podcast.
0: Little plug there. Exactly. The, um, one of the reasons why they having to do such an intensive restoration on the castle is due to the fact that the castle, by day, looks really, really nice, and sometimes they put nice little sprinkling, like, twinkling lights on cages on the roof at Christmas time. Um, But yeah, during night time, it's when it comes alive or where they start to torch it and burn it to to the ground. So there's always (laughs) scorch marks where they've been launching fireworks. Um, From Disney Dreams, when you had the wonderful uh, fire um, kind of breathing up from the sides of the castle, Um, really, really tall flamethrowers when you were looking at the Princess and the Frog scene from Disney Dreams. Uh, It's obviously taken its toll. The amount of gunpowder and heat um, that wonderful paint from 1990, well sorry 1992 when it opened is obviously I know we've paid it a few times since then but it hasn't really had a big restoration until now
1: um, No it's not had a major restoration but it did get a proper big paint job in 2011 and they darkened the colour of the pink as well and um, as well put some more contrast into a richer deeper blue too um, but it's interesting I, I thought one of the funny things uh, when they did the the the, the big coloured cannons um, on the castle during the Jungle Book drive show, I did think,
0: Christ, that's going to do some damage, isn't it? But I suppose they must have known this refurb was coming up that they're doing now. So they didn't care. They just said, well, we'll just aim it at the castle anyway. We're going to replace it all anyway. Yeah, we're going to fix that. Don't worry about it, mate. <laughs> just imagine, like I've seen a few times uh, standing waiting for Disney dreams or illuminations whenever I managed to drag myself to watch it you can see the uh fire well the, the fireworks technicians and the fire marshals climbing up out of the little hatches uh, onto the different balconies at the castle and it's only then when you see either a mickey mouse up there or a, an actual human uh, on one of the tiny little turrets it's that that's when you kind of notice the false perspective um in place because they, they do look quite big compared to the tower <laughs> yeah It does does break the false
1: perspective when you have real
0: perspective in it. (laughs) Um, But obviously they need to be there to launch them and make sure things are safe. Um, It's quite funny as well when they do the projection show how they put the really big inflatable or white door in front of the arch of the castle entrance. um, Kind of ruins them. I know they need to make a canvas for the projection mapping, but it does. I know it's only temporary as well. Uh, But when when you're walking past and you see it lit up, ready for the show, just spoil it a little bit.
1: It does a little bit. I wonder whether they could have some, like a drawbridge that they could pull down instead or something that's just a fairly flat canvas-like thing or maybe some some large doors that could open and shut. But that's probably going to be a fair amount of um, reconstructing a bit of old building. So I'm sure they'd rather just whack a (laughs) canvas in place.
0: They could, I suppose, project a door onto it because they're already projecting the purple and the pinks onto the castle at night time anyway. So they could just project a door, a door on there. That's true, yeah. They've been lazy. Get your finger out, Disneyland Paris. <laughs> um, What else do we need to talk about currently? Yeah, well, Disney Dreams, obviously, I'm sure Simon's already going to agree with this, but that was, for me, the best nighttime spectacular on there. And as we've said, we've already got a full, like, two-and-a-half-hour episode on Disney Dreams and projection mapping. So take a listen to that from a few uh, years ago if you want to hear all of our thoughts on that. Is there anything else we could use projection mapping for during the time when... During the day, obviously lasers and projections are getting a lot stronger and a lot more powerful now. Is there something that we could do to add a bit more to the castle? Or do we leave it as it is? It's such an iconic building anyway.
1: Well, this is one of you know. Normally, we sit around going, adding projection mapping makes everything better. But I think this is actually one of those cases where they've done such a strong job with the design, and they've spent so much time making it uh, so so natural, and have such a powerful naturalistic feel to it that. Um, it, it, despite it being a fantasy design, um, that actually, yeah, it, it feels like if you start whacking too many layers of uh, additions on
0: top of it, it it sort of takes away from what's nice and pure about it it does what about at night time once the show's finished could there be something that we have on there maybe I don't know could you have some uh, fire or the dragon could the dragon's head stick out of the doors or something like that just again to add like a little easter egg a little extra special um, element to it yeah it'd
1: be nice I to be honest I'm I'm old school I liked how uh, after Disney dreams they just pan colours across it very slowly
0: I'm very nostalgic
1: about Disney Dreams.
0: (laughs) (laughs) The cast members don't want people looking backwards, do they? They want to be walking forwards into the shop, spending money on the way out. Yeah, that's it. They should just project the words get out on the castle. (laughs) (laughs) Au revoir. Get out. (laughs) And so, yeah, the future of the castle, as we've mentioned a few times now, and as you're probably already aware, they are restoring the castle. The project started in January of 2021. The official date is not being released yet but it's going to be completed sometime in 2022 obviously in time for the 30th anniversary the last thing they want is the castle under the tarpaulin when they're having a nice celebration that's probably as well going to be the next mid obviously we've got the 29th anniversary coming up this month in a few days time that we already know that's going to be virtual online so check out for youtube links coming up very soon for that if you're in the future listening to this then that's already happened and then we're counting down to the 30th anniversary to be honest, obviously coronavirus is the worst thing that the world has faced for a long, long time, definitely in uh, since I've been alive, really. But if, is, if there's any positives coming out of it, I think it's been good uh, for Disneyland Paris to have the park closed, because never, ever, hopefully, fingers crossed, never again in the history of the parks are you going to have a time where it has been shut for so long, which means that when people are still able to work in the open air in France, they've managed to get a start on this project, they've managed to do things probably a lot quicker they're probably being a bit more effective as well as they haven't got to kind of worry about the guests seeing kind of behind the scenes so as well as it obviously it's really 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 negative for the world and lots and lots of people have lost their lives thinking of it on the other hand or the other foot a little bit uh, not taken away from the negative side but it probably has been a blessing in disguise for Disneyland Paris when it comes to restoring the castle and making plans for the future.
1: Yeah, I mean, in terms of uh, in terms of slightly lucky timings, the place being shut at the minute does help them a little bit. Although there's a kind of, I think there's a kind of cruel irony with what's happened in that um, the last major thing that uh, Paris did, Ratatouille aside, um, was refurbishing major attractions, and now would have been the perfect time to have done that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, the refurb. There was a video released by Disneyland Paris um, a few months ago. Now, the refurb took two years to plan. So well before coronavirus was even a word. Um, it's something <laughs> <laughs> its something that they have been planning for a, quite a while. And to be honest, when you think about what they're going to do, it does uh, kind of explain why it's taken them so long to plan ahead. So they're going to be using uh, French craftsmen who have already worked on historical icons such as the Notre Dame. Um, they're going to be drafted into work on the renovation, uh, particularly some of the more intricate parts such as the turrets. We've already talked about the towers and the turrets being kind of taken away and worked on. They've probably been worked on in factories around France uh, for quite a while now. I wouldn't be surprised if they uh, maybe get some other countries involved as well. Um, the good thing about this, though, once the park does reopen or when it, ha- when it does reopen, the castle will remain partially open. So I can imagine they'll close off different sections. The, 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 um, the dragon's lair probably will be fine for, for some time. Uh, they're obviously going to be working a lot above the um, the walkway height. So it's going to be just so strange, as you mentioned at the start, just seeing the tarpaulin. But I was, if it was ever going to happen in a period of time, um, I'm glad it's happening now and not 10, 20 years ago, because just imagine a dot matrix printer printing the tarpaulin for a castle that size to cover it. <laughs> I
1: think there's also a nice sense that, Obviously, things are not going to be back to normal in Europe this year at all. That's that's a fact. Um, and equally, Paris, with the other park, is in a state where there's a lot of building work going on. I think it's almost nice to kind of semi-write off this year and say, OK, well, when we get to 2022, 30th anniversary celebrations, castle's been refurbished, Avengers Campus opening, it can kind of start fully coming back to life then
0: with a bit of a bang. And what a bang it's going to be! Let's hope it's not too big of a bang because we don't want the n- newly refurbished castle getting damaged. <laughs> no more smoke and fire. <laughs> so yeah, um, we always like to think about what we could potentially do. Now, none of this, none of this stuff is going to happen. Um, but think about maybe in the next thirty years, or so what, what if we're celebrating the sixtieth anniversary? If any, uh, if there's anything that we could incorporate into the castle that already exists or anything that's new that we would like to kind of put in there. Uh, something I'll kick us off with, uh, I've discussed possibly putting some kind of new restaurant in there. I know we've got um, Aubergine de Sendelon uh, there as well, but I don't know. Is there anything underneath the castle? We've got the uh, dungeon, but is there any way we could kind of create some kind of other entrance uh, inside that goes down a little corridor? Could we create a restaurant? I know there's no space for it. But it'd be quite nice to to think that there would be some kind of um I know in other castles have got like different um places to stay, we've got places like rooms to sleep in and things like that. It's just a shame that there isn't an actual sit down location in the castle itself.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. It's it is sort of a shame that the castle ends up being something that you just obviously it says walk through attraction, so you literally walk through it, but you do just also walk through it, you know, irrespective of, of the two quote-unquote, walk-through attractions. You do literally just walk through, apart from a couple of little shops. So it would be nice if there was something in there that kind of made you stick and stay around. And maybe, you know, maybe that's getting rid of the shops and putting some kind of small show elements in there. Or maybe that's using it for character meets, maybe. I'm never a massive fan of handing over lovely buildings to character meets. It, it sort of feels a bit cheap. But, you know, maybe you do need to do something live in that space to to bring it to life.
0: Yeah, it, the- There's possibly a way in the future you could, at different times of the year, uh, maybe have it so for a couple of weeks of the year, maybe at Christmas. uh, That's where you can meet a certain character or um, when it's Halloween and you've got the different Halloween um, stuff happening in the courtyard in Fantasyland, it could be that that's where Maleficent meets. Um, Obviously, we don't want to take away from the original features. And as we've said, the the shops are so nice and quaint. But... um, just trying to think of how to kind of keep things moving and things don't last forever Um potentially could be something we look at just a shame that you can't uh, create a, a TARDIS uh, kind of <laughs> restaurant in there which opens up into a massive um kind of table service restaurant such a shame that they couldn't have that in the original plans as well Um would have been a nice little feature Um speaking of shops we've talked about Merlin's shop uh, selling glass um, we've also talked about the Christmas section of the main general shop in there. Is there any other, like, any other merchandise, any other things that you would like them to possibly sell if we were improving the shops in any way? Yeah,
1: a cake that's in the shape of the castle.
0: <laughs> <laughs> From the first anniversary. I don't think there is anything in there. Uh, the, the last thing I want to see is the general Disney merchandise that you can get in every single shop. I definitely feel that the need to keep it um, to the castle to Merlin they need to narrow what they're selling, they need to narrow the stock down to um, be kind of a niche market really um, we want people to still want to go to the castle to buy things, like you say, it's, if it's a walkthrough and people aren't, if the, if it's just general stuff that they can get everywhere else then people aren't going to take the time to stop once they've done the walkthrough uh, once they've done the gallery at the top it is just going to be a path and like a nice photograph outside so i think it'd be be useful even if it's just every so many years just kind of change the shops up a little bit maybe have a different theme every so many years or obviously they they, they celebrate the uh, anniversaries quite a lot every year obviously but um, when it's the big anniversaries it could be that they change it up so like the 30th anniversary they could do something uh, maybe change i'm not saying put the anniversary merchandise in there but Maybe just change the kind of theming and the kind of product that's sold in there. Um, Now, the next thing on my list was interactivity. Now, that would probably go well in the gallery, but we've already discussed how we both like the fact that it is so simplistic and it's all about the artwork. Is there anything that you would happily put in the gallery or even just in the the Dragon's Lair or in the castle itself um, where we could have a bit more interactivity, maybe bring the technology up to date a bit more? So I think one of the
1: things that was nice um, during coronavirus, where they had to shut off a lot of the walkthrough attractions um, because they couldn't be made COVID safe, uh, was that they used the um, sort of mezzanine balcony uh, as a sort of character spot. So you'd have Aurora uh, and her prince just come and wave to everyone. So you got a kind of a little bit of interactivity and a little bit of life uh, through using that space for something else, which, I, you know, obviously not in the best of circumstances, but a nice way to to bring a bit of interactivity in, in a very human sense as well.
0: Thinking, with, uh, technology has, since coronavirus started being used even more than it already was. Obviously the world was already being taken over by technology. Um, everyone's walking around with mobile phones. We're all Zooming and meeting on teams and things like that. I'm just wondering if there's any way we could kind of create like a little interactive game. Um, even if it's not to be used when you're actually visiting the gallery. But obviously we've got the pages in the book um, on the walkthrough attraction from Sleeping Beauty, the story. Um would be quite nice if there was some kind of storybook app that was totally linked to our version in, in Paris. Um, my son's probably up too old now to be interested in something like this because he's more into his Marvel land or his Star Wars land, that kind of thing. Um, but I'm thinking back when he was younger, it would have been nice walking through uh, the walkthrough and then going home or going back to the hotel afterwards and then kind of reading through the story ourselves. Even if it had um, little videos or a 360 degree or VR, virtual reality aspect to it. So you could kind of transport yourself back to that walkthrough. Um, be quite nice as well. You could obviously then kind of incorporate it. With them. It means you're not touching the physical gallery itself. You could then put overlays into the, the virtual version um, it's another way of keeping people in touch with the castle when they actually can't visit it,
1: yeah, nice as well that you could then obviously the the books in the the books uh, around the gallery are in French, but you can uh, you can localize that with a with an app or something,
0: yeah, so you could actually people have got the phones out anywhere to take photographs every time, uh, whether it's Instagram or TikTok. But TikTok probably wasn't even a thing last time we had a podcast out. <laughs> I don't think it was. <laughs> um, but yeah, you could be using your phone to scan a QR code or it could be an app that trigger detects the page um, and loads up like the English version, the Spanish version, the German version, whatever, on top of that. Probably just makes it a bit more um, interactive and you can in, you can refer to it a bit more. My French is quite basic. I could probably understand the story because um, there's not many words on the pages of these books um, in the gallery. But yeah, it'd be quite nice. Just to be able to bring more languages into that as well. So yeah, and as
1: well those few animated uh, features you do have things like the the snoring guards and the spinning wheel. You know, maybe that's something you could do a bit of uh, NFC work with phones. to you have to go there and kind of bring those aspects to life.
0: Yeah, so you need to activate them. Um, again, you could change that up, couldn't you? So you could have, obviously the guards are snoring, um, but it could be that if you've done it a few times, it'll know that. You've been there four times, so each time it'll maybe give you something slightly different just to change it up. Um, it's always about kind of, for any attraction, it's all about re rideability You don't want to go on a roller coaster if you get the same sensation every single time. Um, I know the track doesn't change and the, the theming doesn't change, but it, it leaves you wanting more. You want to feel that sense again. But with a walk-through attraction that is quite static. Um, once you've done it a few times, I can imagine if you go on every week or every month, um, you probably don't visit that attraction every month, but if there was a little um, extra to it, like you say, near-field technology, just to kind of change the story up or add a little dimension or... Um, similar to what happens in the studio, um, in the... Um, what's it called? I can't remember what it's called. Studio no? One. Studio One. Uh, it's, right in, right, it's right on the name. Yeah, in Studio One, you can control the lights in the, on, the, on the walls and things like that. They don't always work, um, but it's quite interesting... Going up to the controls and kind of playing with the switches and interacting with it—it's um, just an extra thing. If you know it's there, um, just adds extra to to the attraction. So uh, anything that brings people back wanting more, I think, is positive. As long as it doesn't ruin the overall feel, because you don't want hundreds of people standing there queuing up just to pressing buttons through. on their phone. <laughs> but it's all about trial and error. So some of the some of our ideas would work, and some of them wouldn't. Um, Projection shows, we've already mentioned Dreams and Illuminations. Um, From the rumours I've heard or it might be official now I haven't been on Twitter for a while now the uh, Illuminations show is probably not coming back in that form anymore. Um, I think it would be a perfect time for them to introduce a new show for the 30th anniversary. Um, We would obviously both like something that's akin more to Disney Dreams and Illuminations or is there anything else we could do? nah just bring back dreams <laughs> there we go that's another hashtag bring back dreams i think the the problem with that people had with illuminations was that it was it looked very obvious that they were just sticking on adverts it was it was basically a big trailer wasn't it for all their franchises that they had bought up so you've got um star wars in there, Pirates of the caribbean which obviously the ride and the attraction's still there with johnny depp in it but future of the franchise looks uh, like it's gone away now. So <laughs> if it were to bring Illuminations back, it wouldn't be a good start with it when you've got Johnny Depp on there. No, and I mean,
1: that's, you know, Illuminations was brought in because of uh, the technology had moved on so much, you know, the quality of projection mapping that they could do, which got so far superior to what they were doing in Dreams. But obviously, the, the issue was Dreams was a fantastic story. It was a beautiful bit of uh, visual and auditory storytelling. And Illuminations is, there's, there's, there's just not really a story to it. Um, so that's, you know, if you're going to do a show of any kind, your story is the fundamental thing.
0: Now, dreams worked so well because it was so many different stories, but with the overarching story as well. Could we? I mean, we talk about IP being the issue um, with Illuminations, but there was IPs throughout Disney dreams. Could we stick to one kind of story? Does it? Obviously, we've got such a big, wide audience who are loving different aspects of Disney. Whether that's the Star Wars, Lucas Arts, uh, Lucasfilm, we've got the Marvel. We've got the original, we've got the, the original classics. We've got the Pixar fans, so I understand that we need to kind of cater for everybody. But I think it would be so nice, especially as we're talking about Sleeping Beauty's castle. Could we not have a Sleeping Beauty show?
1: Yeah, and you can bring in Merlin. You can bring in uh, Merlin's specific dragon that you've got down in the lair as well.
0: I think it would just be quite nice. You wouldn't obviously, the, the Sword in the Stone and uh, Sleeping Beauty and those era of films don't all kind of take place in the same world would it be quite nice to have a story that uses the castle and fantasy land and have that as the main kind of element of that attraction and that nighttime spectacular
1: I think something retro is a bit timeless as well
0: yeah especially when we've got one uh, the new uh, Walt Disney Studios Lagoon opens and you've got the projection show there um, and I know they're going to trial it out uh, for a little bit in uh, Disney Village potentially as well so when you, if you've already got that happening there when they're probably going to include a lot more of the modern IP and a lot of the other uh, intellectual property that they've already got I think it'd be quite a nice time to take Disney Park, Disneyland Park back to the more traditional stories it could well be
1: because then you can make sure that you give a very distinctive voice to the two different parks
0: again we'll go with that we'll send them our suggestions if you're listening we will they're always listening always (laughs) listening So, um, is there anything else you want to talk about in the future? What potentially might happen? Obviously, the castle will still be there in 30 or 40 years. Could they knock the castle down and build the, uh, the futuristic castle we mentioned at the start of the podcast?
1: Well, you never know. I mean, by and large, the castles haven't been pulled around, but in Hong
0: Kong, they have done so. So you can never say never. You can never say never. That's a Justin Bieber song, isn't it, I think? a long time anyway, oh it's absolute classic <laughs> I love it <laughs> I don't think they ever will I'm hoping they don't touch the castle um, it's strange to think though that they are renovating so much that a lot of the castle that I see again in the future will be a totally new castle really won't it a lot of the elements yeah. are sticking out
1: it will be and it, it'll it be interesting to see whether they do decide to make any changes when they do that but from everything that I've seen so far it's, it's very much uh, rebuild what was already there
0: Yeah, if if you're not following um, a lot of the Twitter accounts or YouTube channels on uh, the internet, you need to definitely do so. Um, Disneyland Paris, through the Disney um, Inside Ears program, they're sharing quite a lot of good content at the moment. Um, One of the recent videos was behind the scenes of them uh, working on Main Street. They were looking at different shops and they they were scanning artwork from bags that had been there since the opening in 1992. And they are taking a really good care and they're looking into a lot of detail into restoring, but also kind of um, kind of taking for the future of the park as well. they're scanning it and they're looking into keeping like restoring it and keeping a record of what they've got. so if they need to kind of re- redevelop or restore again in the future, then instead of having to go back to the drawing board and doing it from scratch, they've already got like that document there that will kind of give them a reference. So it's really really interesting stuff and that, I imagine that's what's happening with the castle as well. So they'll be going back to the original plans. They've obviously spent two years putting together the plans for this time's restoration. So they'll be looking at all the dimensions. They'll be they'll be making um, some scans and models that they'll hopefully be able to use for future ideas and future projects, which will mean the cost will come down, but it also means that it won't be out of action as much as it's going to be for the next 12 months. Let's hope so. So this is the time when uh, it gets really interesting um, we're now going to go over to the listener opinions. Now, before we, uh, <laughs> there's a bit of a disclaimer on these listener opinions. I asked you for these opinions in episode 22, so in uh, what was it, April 2019? Um, it was a while ago. So uh, you probably, well, don't sue us for a start. If your opinions have changed and these are no longer your opinions, then I do apologise. So we've got a lot of, we've got a tweet, we've got some uh, Facebook posts, and we've got a few emails to read out. Before we do that, this is how wonderful this technology is, Simon. I'm going to play you some audio from Niels, who is uh, from Capturing Disney Magic. This, or Capturing Disney Parks, sorry. This is his opinion on the Disneyland Paris Castle.
2: Hello, Andrew and Simon. This is Niels from Capturing Disney Parks on Instagram and Twitter and CapturingDisneyParks.com. You've asked for opinions about Sleeping Beauty Castle or Le Chateau de la Belle au Bois, the one and only Disneyland Paris Castle. For now, by the way, since Walt Disney Studios Park will get the LP's second castle in Frozen Land. I think it's quite unique for a Disney resort to have two big castles. In my opinion, Disneyland Paris Castle is the most beautiful and magical one of them all. The fact that it's on a hill makes it stand out better, and the left side has a great waterfall and a lot of square trees, just like any animated classic. It's simply beautiful. Not every Disney castle offers the opportunity to go up and discover a fairy tale story and walk out onto a balcony. So another big plus there for Paris. There's no other Disney castle too with a basement and a dragon. and I really like this dragon's lair as it adds some mystery and storytelling to the castle. The two shops also perfectly fit the castle and the year-round Christmas shop is small but it's great and it adds the sparkling magic from Christmas to the chateau. Modern shop on the other side has some great artifacts from that film, and it also sells customizable glass wands. So there's more pixie dust and magic to discover over there. And the last thing, did you notice the snails on the Golden Towers? It's an homage to the French cuisine and culture, and I love these little details that make the castle a true Disney masterpiece. That's it. Bye.
0: Thank you for that, Niels. Yeah, one of the things I completely forgot about when we were looking at the uh, design of the castle was the uh, the gold snails on the, uh, the spires, well, the, the turrets of the... Um, no, not turrets. The roof. The nice big pointy golden roof of the castle. Uh, such a lovely little uh, link there to Paris, isn't it? With the little snails on there
1: it is i'd love to uh, get a read from someone french whether they also find it funny to be sticking some escargot up there um but yeah it's great to have another another um voice appearing on this podcast so i'm sure we will do more eventually so please do um feel free to send us in more voice notes and particularly if in the case of niels as it was his french accent so much better than ours
0: i think it helps that he lives on the continent of europe
1: And we've just famously left it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we've we've done quite well for being well over an hour and not mentioning the Brexit word. Not only has Brexit helped, but coronavirus has helped alienate us from the rest of Europe for the rest of time
1: oh yes it'll never be the same again never be the same again um, but also brilliant that uh, that Neil's had such a good knowledge of uh, of what's happening in the shops as well and that's great that that's something that does stick with people we're talking about what those things are that you know bring bring the castle to life and that make you want to go back there well it's cool that a shop is one of those things
0: yeah just the, the magic wands with the glass beads and things and that again like we mentioned before it's such a nice little memento that is totally unique to the castle and that's the way it needs to stay um, we've had a tweet from Jonathan Broomfield, JHB Disney One, on Twitter. Um, I will keep it short. It's a beautiful, sorry, it is beautiful and my favourite. Dreams was one of the best night shows and it needs a paint. Hashtag bring back dreams. <laughs> um, it's getting a paint because this tweet is so old that the painting has already started. Uh, well, nearly started. And yet we're still talking about dreams and we still want to bring back Disney dreams. Yes. Jonathan
1: very much of our own heart there. (laughs)
0: Do you want to read our Facebook comment from Dennis?
1: Yeah, okay. This is from Dennis Stragfors. Apologies. uh, I have no idea how to pronounce accents at all. Uh, So here we go. This is from Facebook. Arguably the most imaginative of all the Disney castle so the design is fantastic, as well as the topiary surrounding it. Uh, but the best part of it is that it's an actual attraction, or two if you count the walkthrough and the Dragon's Lair as two separate attractions. And they even managed to fit in a delightful store inside the castle, filled with details and secrets. My only regret with this castle is that maybe it's a bit too small. Uh, and would it be great if they could have fit a restaurant inside of it as well? And maybe a functional drawbridge like the one in Disneyland. Somebody else agreeing with the restaurant as well? This is, I didn't think the restaurant suggestion would be so popular, but you you might be onto something here, Andrew. And cool, again, that the store pops up as something that people remember. That's great.
0: It's a wonderful little thing. It's these little details that we all remember. Um, the drawbridge is there, but is it functional? I don't think it is.
1: No, I think it's concrete and concrete, painted to yeah. look like a drawbridge, isn't it?
0: But it would be quite cool. I know you mentioned before about having some kind of drawbridge that can be put in place. How cool would it be if there actually was a drawbridge? Uh, the underside of it had a white screen on it so they could use it for their projection show, but during the day, um, kind of like um, the Tower Bridge in London, goes up and down uh, yeah. every now and then. It would be quite, quite funny to see the cast members stopping people from walking near the drawbridge because it's going to come up. <laughs> it would be a nice little... But I don't, I don't know where the mechanisms would go. It's obviously not being designed that way, but it would have been a nice little uh, feature if the drawbridge was actually a working one, like in Disneyland. Um, Emails are always our friend as well. We've had an email here from David Herzog. Uh, Howdy, fellow podcasters. This is David getting in touch. I present with Musical Talk, a UK-based podcast dealing with the realm of musical theatre that occasionally also likes to delve into discussions of things Disney, Um, be it their Broadway or West End productions or their very musical attractions at the Disney parks. Uh, I enjoy your podcast very much and I look forward to hearing more in the future. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Because you've had to wait so long, David, we'll forgive you for the shameful plug for another podcast um, on the podcast out there. So yeah, if you want to listen to that, it sounds like a podcast I would like to uh, listen to uh, because I do like West End Productions and I do like Disney uh, parks. So yeah, take a listen. uh, Musical Talk, a UK-based podcast. David goes on to say, I've been to DLP only once, but was immediately taken aback by the actual design of the castle. My only previous visits to any of the Disney parks was to Disney World way back in Christmas of 1995. Of course, everything seemed bigger back then when I was a wee lad of 11, so consequently, my first thoughts upon seeing DLP and Sleeping Beauty's castle was, Whoa! This thing is tiny. Now, perhaps it's pure Disney mythology that always makes one one's brain think that all Disney Parks' castles are much bigger than they actually are, or perhaps my literal height change from 11-year-old to my current 34-year-old self has changed my perception of these things. He's obviously about 30... Uh, what's that? 36 now, maybe? Um, but my legitimate first thought was how small the actual castle looked. Is that a criticism? If so, it would be my only criticism. In actuality, I adored the castle at DLP, the design is so much more eye-catching than the two the american castles with its brighter colors rounded spires and the added addition of the famous dragon under the floorboards i didn't get to explore the castle on my first visit as much as i would like to but my wife april and i are returning in late september this year um, that's in 2019 so let us know how your visit was uh, we'll be spending more time in the park so if any look, a further delve into the bowels and steep steeples of sleepings beauty's castle will be on the cards for us Yours in magic, David Herzog. P.S. I only just started listening to your lovely podcast, and from one podcaster ponca- one to another, may I say what a lovely job you're doing. I noticed your last post was in April of this year. I very much hope that the podcast is continuing. If I could be any any service as a DLP fan with an American perspective, I'm originally from Ohio in the States but now live in Wales. Please let me know
1: i love that that was such a nice thing of him to say but like with two years
0: it's not aged well has it (laughs) (laughs) whoops possibly i shouldn't have read that one out that part (laughs) 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 yeah i noticed your last podcast was in april of this year april of not last year not april of this year oh well it is april of this year actually two years yeah (laughs) (laughs) so if your offer's still there um all we need is help with being a bit more consistent
1: yeah, what well, we could really do with actually is someone to like schedule for us. We need a we need a production secretary, really, don't we?
0: We do, and I really could do with a separate studio. I'll tell you what, I'll take a separate studio while we're at it, as well, actually. So, if anyone can help us out with two studios that we can be put in uh, the north of England and the south of England, and then we need somebody who can be our uh, PA schedule assistant, um, well, that would be a wonderful. Thank you. It's only small things we ask for. Do right, you wanna read the next
1: one? I would love to. This is from long time listener, KG. Hello guys, the beauty of this castle will be covered by others. So I'm going to mention the amazing shop inside where you uh, can get glass items made. We had a wand made by a cast member, a long haired guy uh, that looked like he could be in the Descendants movies, who made the process of it being made so much fun with him getting us to say the magic words whilst it was being made. Those are the touches that make the experience memorable. There is an awesome DLP castle made of glass in there for fifteen thousand euros and that's a bucketless lottery item.
2: I completely a to the in, the castle.
0: I completely forgot about that glass castle.
1: Yeah, I'd forgotten about that too. I also forgot about the price of it. Wow.
0: <laughs> I do um yeah, I wanna know if it was made by the long haired guy, cast member in the shop, or if it was brought in from elsewhere. So another question for our podcast, who made the glass castle and is it still there? I feel like this is kind of typical
1: of like, you know, the the high standards of the DLP at the time where me and you were chatting about, like, oh, maybe we should have a castle cake. And they're like, whoa, one made of glass for 15,000 euros. Thank you very much. <laughs> I'll carry on with KG's email now. The the dragon underneath the castle is another highlight, but the best thing for me was when Dreams was projected onto the castle. That show with its story, songs, and the castle are made for each other, and the show is sorely missed. I believe DLP listened to fans recently regarding the ballroom scene music and the Phantom Manor when they changed back to the original uh, from updated music. I hope that they change the mess that is Illuminations back to Dreams in the near future. I'm with you on that. Absolutely.
0: I don't think... Well. Apart from the casual guest who doesn't know any better or they don't know Disney Dreams, um, I think everybody else will be uh, in agreement with you there, KG. Um, Rio Finch, hiya. It's a beautiful castle and it's so impressive. When it comes to nighttime shows, it could be better. Some scenes don't just fully work on the castle itself, but nevertheless, it always makes me well up each time I see the show. During the daytime, I feel like it's missing something which makes it unique. I'm not undermining its look. If it was my choice, I'd replace the Christmas shop with a pin trading shop. Uh, (coughs) As Pablo's uh, is so far away from the rest of the park. And pins can be a bigger pull than Christmas decorations, which will only be bought one season a year. Well, when I was there in February and when I was there again in April as well, um, the Christmas shop was full. So I don't totally agree with you um, there. I think... Whenever people go, they like to stock up on Christmas decorations. But I know um, I'm not really a big pin trading fan but I know a lot of people are. Um, so a more central location for their pin trading would be quite useful for you guys. I just don't want the queues to take place. I know if there's a big, tra- um, like a unique or limited edition pin that's released um, a lot of the time you'll see queues uh, a mile long. I remember when we were there for the 25th celebrations on the day, the 12th of April um, we, fo- well, we decided to Rather than rushing to the park to get there early to get a good spot, we decided to continue with our breakfast um, at the Sequoia Lodge because breakfast was more important to me at the time. Um, when we <laughs> left the hotel, we were still pretty early. It was well before 8 o'clock in the morning. And the parks weren't opening for another hour or so. Um, but yeah, we walked past Disney Village and I thought that was the beginning of the queue to get into the park. So my heart suddenly dropped and I was like, oh no, we should have gone up a lot earlier. Um, But luckily for me, it was the pin trading queue in the Disney village. (laughs) Um, When we got to the front of the park, there wasn't really a queue at all to get into the park, and we got a really good spot. But yeah, I don't want the pin trading queues to take up any of the precious space uh, in the castle. So we'll have to agree to disagree on that section. Um, Rio then goes on to say, don't get me wrong, I still love the Christmas shop, but just somewhere else I believe there's a shop somewhere by... Uh, the entrances to the park which has the christmas decorations in as well two shops are not needed when it isn't christmas season And i can see your opinion on that one i can agree one place is uh, good and i think that place should be in the castle possibly uh nevertheless still such a beautiful attraction thanks guys smiley face you know wait that's another email talking about the shop
1: <laughs> I, I, all of our emails so far have talked about the shop that's such a I mean, it's cool that that's a kind of feature that, you know, when you initially think about the castle, you probably don't think about, you know, retail experiences. But it's cool that it's
0: it's sort of touched
1: everyone in a, in a way.
0: Yeah, could we have a flat-roof castle which doesn't really reach up into the sky? As long as there's a shop there that looks quite nice, it would be enough for everybody. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Next up, we've got an email from Q. Out of the Disney, park, Disney castle parks, I've been lucky enough to visit Disneyland. Uh, California is simply charming. Tokyo Disneyland is, dis- is uh, dignified, stately, and very classy, but they should never have got rid of the castle mystery tour. Hong Kong's was not only charming, but also super pretty with the mountains behind it, and I'm excited for its transformation into something unique but also beautiful. But Disneyland Paris had me in tears the first time I saw it. It's a marvel, a true fairy tale design, and a true attraction with not only the wonderful and stunning walkthrough upstairs and- balcony, but also the amazing dragons there beneath. It honestly could not be better. It's truly befitting, one of the most beautiful of all the castle parks.
0: Keep up the great work, gents.
1: Kind regards, Q, in Perth, Australia.
0: He's counting down to his annual Hong Kong Disneyland resort stay in coming months. It's probably been twice since then.
1: I was you know, I was going to cut that out because, uh, because of the two-year time lag, but I hope <laughs> you had a lovely trip.
0: Yeah, let us know how your <laughs> trips went, guys. Um... Well, oh, I was going to say something then, but I completely forgot. No, when he talks about, um, yeah, we've got mountains behind the Hong Kong castle. Um, there's nothing, you don't really see anything behind the Paris castle, but it's still, I think the fact that there's nothing behind it is just as magical, isn't it? Because all of your yeah, um, sight is on that castle.
1: Yeah, it does, it does make sure it's the kind of big feature, but I think that's another thing where, you know, they, they've thought about what the vista looks like in... Hong Kong, they thought they could get away with having the really low squat um, copy of Disneyland's castle from the 50s in there because it was kind of framed by this natural landscape around it. And again, we have this idea that we had to go for a very bright pink on the Paris castle because actually what was going to frame it most of the time was clouds.
0: <laughs> we um, we haven't really mentioned what our first impressions are of the castle. Once I know we mentioned right at the beginning uh, walking through underneath the Disneyland Hotel, and then kind of going past the uh, gazebo. But so many when you watch vlogs on YouTube, um, so many people film their like their reactions, their first reactions. What is your when you first see the castle? What would your reaction be?
1: You know, what? I I don't remember. I must have been so young when when I was first seeing it. So I yeah, I don't know. I don't know.
0: So know a lot of people kind of either side so a lot of people will kind of go past um, town hall and they'll go towards one of the arcades and then they'll kind of come out into the middle of Main Street because they want to kind of hold on to the suspense as long as possible um, I've seen videos of people who have cried when they've kind of seen the castle um, I know what we do as a family um, we will just kind of stop there and stand um, either in the gazebo if we can if there's no um, characters there uh, or we'll stand just in front of the gazebo and we will just spend a good five, ten minutes just standing there, taking it in, getting a few photographs. Um, I don't get emotional, don't get me wrong, but it does kind of play with... Like, it's like you kind of think, wow, we're back. We're in our happy place. We're going to have a really great time as a family. I know when I was younger... Yeah, and I think you're
1: right no, about on. the build of it as well. It's It's that that kind of feeling of walking down towards it and it's it's getting bigger it's getting more imposing and yeah it's like bam you're
2: here
0: carmen is our next email uh, actually our final email for this episode so it says hello andrew and simon thank you for this opportunity to contribute to your fantastic podcast this summer was my first time at dlp and i listened to the podcast to get ready for my visit you guys have lovely accents and very well researched episodes, so congratulations. never heard anybody describe a Northwest accent as what was it? Uh, lovely, but anyway. Very lovely, yeah. Maybe more like a Geordie, but not as, not as bad. Um, hope you haven't alienated <laughs> any people from the Northeast, so I apologise. I take that back. Aurora is my favourite princess, so I'm biased, but this castle is gorgeous inside and out. I adored the stained glass windows depicting the story in the gallery, the gallery, sorry, and the amount of details in the short text written in French. Do you guys think they should have put them in English too? Because I kind of understand, for the aesthetic purposes, they didn't. But most guests don't speak French, so question mark. Taken our kind of suggestion from before, but yeah, um, it's a very short story in French, but it would be quite nice for those of us that can't remember the GCSE French. Uh, The outside of the castle is just glorious. On a sunny day it draws your attention to all those towers and at the sunset it is perfect. We sat down to wait for illuminations two hours before the show and we were able to appreciate how this show uses every nook and cranny of the castle. I love how this castle is majestic in a way that Cinderella's at Walt Disney World lacks. It's the curves and the colours that gives this castle a huge presence and it's a lovely sight from any point of the park. I'm really glad you chose to do an episode on this. Can't wait to hear it. Well, you haven't got much longer to wait now. A huge fan <laughs> from Spain. Thank you, Carmen.
1: Yeah, I, back to the, the the French book. No, I, I like that it's in French only. I mean, even though my, I, as you say, like my French is totally schoolboy, and I couldn't read it. Um, but yeah, no, it's it, it's nice that they haven't complicated matters by going out of the way to sort of put in loads of different languages when it is mainly the visual storytelling of. The stained glass windows in
0: the tapestries yeah i think if there was other multiple languages there it wouldn't look as wouldn't look as nice would it It wouldn't be as artistic if it was every single language or even just english as well so I, I totally understand like we mentioned before i understand why they've kept it the way they have um but as somebody who's a typical english person who just wants to read everything in his own language i would also like to have it in english as well whether we do that as a mobile phone or an app or some of some way where um, it would be quite useful for people like me. Um, surprising, but we've actually had a podcast review. <laughs> Can you believe it? It was two years ago, to be fair. <laughs> it's a five-star review uh, by Dan Byrne 88 So he's probably also in his 30s by now since uh, we started this podcast. Really enjoying listening to the podcast. Grew up going to DLP at least once a year and it's great to hear more background on a lot of the elements of the park. Don't get to go as often now, neither do any of us. But recently went in March 2019 on a short mini moon, and binging the podcast before was great. Thank you for your podcast, your podcast review there. Um, As we mentioned before, if you've got any emails, if you've got any suggestions, any comments, you can tweet us, you can email us, you can uh, message us on Facebook, we're on Instagram. There is a TikTok account, but we're not really using it, it's just there in case someone steals our handle. Magical DLP. We have a TikTok account. There is a TikTok account. If you you want a password for it, Simon, you want to dance to different songs and TikTok yourself (laughs) dancing around, be my guest. (laughs) Um, There's something to look forward to, people. You'll you'll see in a few weeks' time, uh, Simon will be doing a takeover of TikTok.
1: Big takeover. I'm going to be big news. (laughs) Viral immediately.
0: But yeah, if you can uh, podcast at MagicalDLP.co.uk if you want to get in touch... Uh, Just search Magical DLP or Magical Disneyland Paris podcast and you'll find us all over the internets. Um, We've also changed our website a little bit. It's been a while since we've done anything to it, but if you visit our website, magicaldlp.co.uk, you can leave a review on our website now as well. So I know a lot of people listen to our podcast via our website and don't always use Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts. so won't be leaving us a review. So if you don't want to use one of the other um, platforms and you want to send us a review, you can do so by visiting our website, magicaldlp.co.uk. And as Niels did from Capturing Disney Parks, um, you can send us a voice note on your mobile phone. Um, A lot of people now having to have to work from home for the last year, whether that be with school or with your employment, um, you'll be used to talking into a microphone or webcam. So send us a little bit of audio, uh, about our next topic. Um, can you remember what our next topic is going to be about, Simon?
1: Well, I didn't realise I was getting a pop quiz here. Um, <laughs> it, doesn't,
0: it doesn't say in the show notes, Andrew. Oh, no. It doesn't say. I don't know, OK? Oh. I don't know. It was, it was decided a long, long time ago. Um, I'm sure I used to see it, but I must have deleted it by accident. Well, what we'll say is, um, thanks for joining us for episode 23 of the Magical Whoa. Disneyland Paris podcast. I'm going to tell you what the podcast is next episode. Because um, it does tell you if you look on the uh, plan. Have you got the plan open? There's never anything on the plan, though. No. Um, the focus of the next episode of the Magical DLP Podcast will see me and Simon discussing all things Disneyland Railroad.
1: Woohoo! Boop, boop.
0: Um, it's, fu- it's quite funny that the uh, the railroad was closed for quite a long time, and uh, they've been doing work on the uh, the Frontierland Theater. Um, the the, the uh, Railroad was closed for a very long time and I think only just really reopened uh, during one of the uh, breaks in lockdown for coronavirus. Um, So hopefully when the parks reopen again uh, in the not too distant future, once everything's calmed down, then uh, hopefully Disneyland Railroad will be back into full action. Uh, But I can't wait to get our teeth into the Disneyland Railroad. It's got so yeah, much history. there's
1: there's a lot to talk about and uh, there's, <laughs> I think probably uh, there's going to be a lot of frustration in the listeners' opinions about the year that it spent where it had like one train going around it and you had to wait for 40 minutes oh. to get on it.
0: I think to be honest, my last memory of Disneyland Railroad was queuing for an hour. Queuing, yeah. <laughs> so there will be a lot of talk about what we could potentially do to the queue. Um, first of all, not having one in the first place would be quite useful. Uh, but we won't spoil anything so yeah if you've got any opinions on the Disneyland Railroad um, let us know them via our website you can email us podcast at magicaldlp.co.uk we really 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 love hearing your voice so please do send us a voice note if you need any help whatsoever or any top tips Uh, if you're on an Apple phone you can just use the voice memo app Um, a lot of people as well um, use WhatsApp now so you can record voice notes directly into WhatsApp and then you could save them and send us them via email um unless you've got anything else you want to say about the castle simon before we sign off
1: i have been really enjoying with the listeners opinions that we've had a lot of uh comparisons to other castles around the world and i'm sure everyone listening to this will have seen on twitter and facebook or whatever when you see the hashtag of notre jolie chateau our beautiful castle and i think there's something really nicely you know that's a possessive statement our castle and i think. It's so beautiful that fans all want to feel a part of it and feel a connection to it because it's just such a stunning bit of design work.
0: I don't know there's anything else I can add to that. That was so nice. Brought a two to Boom, mic drop. <laughs> Over and out. So, yeah, um, thank you for joining us for episode 23 of the Magical Disneyland Paris podcast. We really, really, really hope, and we will try our best that, to make sure there's not a two-year delay between... Um, this episode or the next episode. Um, it's just the way that life works. So, but the, the the plan was <laughs> never to have such a break. Um, I know a lot of people have been tweeting me um, on the magical DLP Twitter uh, over the last few months uh, talking about when's it coming back, when's it happening. Uh, I have been, since the start of 2021, sneakily posting GIFs of random things with Sleeping Beauty's castle in the background. Um, people... It's nice to know that people do still care uh, and still want to hear more from us. So it means we were doing something right a couple of years ago. And we're going to promise to try our best to continue uh, going forward as well. So the only thing that makes us want to do more and more and more though is your opinions. And I've said it about 10 times now. Please do make sure you contact us. Anything at all. um, But next episode is all about Disneyland Railroad. And we will be playing all sorts of wonderful sounds. uh, And we will recreate the journey as if we are sitting on one of the steam trains going around the park. It's going to be good.
1: It's going to be a winner.
0: So until next time, I'm going to try and work out how to use this desk and do it live. We will see you next time. Say goodbye, Simon. Goodbye.